Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you shape our minds and our actions to reflect you? As we look at uh, Isaiah chapter 48 this morning, I pray that um, you would help us in our listening, that we would see your goodness, your faithfulness throughout this text, and that we would see it in the person of Jesus as you are the servant king, that God, as we follow you, um, we're made full. So help us this morning, Jesus, keep us uh, focused on who you are. Uh, Spirit, would you empower us to change? We need you desperately. We ask that you would do it, and we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, distracted driving has been a phrase that has become the lead uh, problem in vehicle crashes in the U.S. in the last decade. Uh, that, That phrase, distracted driving, when you think about it, what would you put as the number one thing that would distract you when you are driving, when you're behind the wheel? There are plenty of things that could distract you in the midst of your driving, but what's your guess on the number one cause of distracted driving? Say it again. Texting, phone, yep, email, right? Yeah, so texting is the clear winner in this category of uh, distracted driving that leads to accidents in the U.S., uh, it's interesting, AAA did a survey of their customers asking them if texting and uh, emailing on your phone, if, if that, and let me get the exact phrase, they, they asked their, their customers, is texting or email while driving a serious threat for your safety? Is it a serious threat for your safety? 96% of the people surveyed said yes, that is a serious threat. The irony is in the same exact survey, um, 39% of the people admitted to texting or emailing on their phone at some point in the last month. So we all agree that like, this is not good. This is causing accidents. This is causing harm. This is causing fatalities. But in the same sentence, we're going, well, like we've all, we've all done it at some level. Why is texting and driving such a problem for us. Again, just, just think about it, regardless of the, the addictions to our devices and things like that. And um, The reason it's a problem is because you should be focused on the road. You should be focused on uh, the other cars and where you're going and what you're doing. Uh, but because you get so familiar, what happens is you pull out this thing when it buzzes and then you're, you're focused right here instead of focused right here. And you're only looking at what's right in front of you. Has that ever happened to you in life, regardless of texting and driving, but have you ever got caught in a situation where your circumstances are so right in front of you that you, you, you forget the rest of uh, what's going on? Um, I want to show a, a quick video that, that is an example of this, and maybe this has kind of felt like um, your situation, if, if that's ever been, you've been so nearsighted with your circumstances, you, you lose track of the bigger picture. Let's go ahead and play this. This, this is like, this is what happens in our life is like, we, we, we only focus right here on our circumstances, whatever's going on in our life. And we can't, we can't back away because it's just, it's so close and it's right there. And this is exactly what's happening to God's people in Isaiah, right? They're so focused on their captivity um, that they're in Babylon, they're not in Jerusalem, that they, all they're seeing is like, this is the problem, this is the problem, I'm enslaved by these people, and what God is going to do in Isaiah is he's going to help us see. Yeah, that you can't ignore that this is a problem. Like, let's not, let's not overcorrect and go, well, my circumstances don't matter, and I'm fine, and it's, I'm just going to trust God, and you're not being honest and real. But 
this isn't the only thing that matters. And this is what God is going to instruct in his people. And we've been walking through this series called The Servant King. And if you're new with us, it's Isaiah 40 through 55, those 15 chapters, which is kind of all one big running theme, those 15 chapters. Uh, And the whole running theme is that there's one true God that is rescuing and redeeming and restoring his people. Right? His people, if you're unfamiliar with the story of the Old Testament, God has rescued his people out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt. He provides for them a place, a land in Jerusalem. He builds the temple for his presence to dwell, for people to see all nations, not just Jerusalem. And people are coming and experiencing who God is in a real and tangible way. But because of, just like us, God's people don't continue to follow him. They drift from him. They start following idols of the culture. And this happens continually to the point where God is going, okay, like there needs to be some real discipline here. Like I love you and I care for you and I want the best for you. And this life that you're living, kind of hopping in between following me and uh, and following the idols of the culture is not what's best for you. And so because of that, I'm actually going to send a people to take you out of your land. And eventually sends Syria and then Babylon to take over Jerusalem and they destroy the temple and they get pulled out of their homeland and they're now in a land where they don't understand what's going on. And it feels like God has left them, even though God is going, this is a necessary part of your development and this discipline. So that's kind of where we, we pick up in chapter 40, because in chapter 40, what happens is God is going, okay, um, the discipline is now over. I'm going to restore our fellowship. I've always had relationship with you. I've never left, even though you feel like I have. This has been part of your discipline, and now I'm going to move into restoration. I'm actually going to rescue you again out of captivity, your circumstances. But the problem is that people think that's the only problem. They go, this is, this is our only problem, and God's going, this is, this is part of the problem, but there's actually a bigger problem. So again, the, the whole structure of chapters 40 through 55 is this idea that there's one true God, and he is going to restore his people. And even in the midst of those 15 chapters, it really, theologians break it into two categories. They say, really, chapters 40 through 48 are one section, and chapters 49 through 55 are another section. The reason they say that is because what we've seen in chapters 40, and we're going to see 48 today, it's a lot of like, I'm going to rescue you out of your circumstances. Again, God is saying, I'm going to rescue you from Babylon. I'm actually going to use somebody that's not even a follower of me, King Cyrus, in that process. And don't get confused. Don't say that Cyrus rescued me. Don't say your idols rescue you. Know that it's God. He's the only true rescuer. Don't get that confused. And so that, that's kind of all of 40 through 48 is kind of this idea that, God, I am going to rescue you from your circumstances. But then what happens in 49 through 55 is God goes, that's not actually the real problem. You, you, you think the real problem is that you're in captivity, that you're in Babylon, and, and even Babylon, uh, you see throughout the New Testament, especially in Revelation, the way that the Bible describes Babylon is it's like this culture that's anti-God. Uh, whether it's pleasure or power, it's like it doesn't follow the ways of God, it follows the ways of the world. And what... The uh, prophet Isaiah is saying in this is going like, listen, um, you think your problem and and your focus, your, your nearsighted focus is that you are captives to Babylon 
and you're in Babylon, but the real problem is actually Babylon is in you. Like you, you have a heart issue. And so that's where the transition begins to change in 49 through 55. What happens is God gives us a peek in chapter 42. We heard it. There's this servant coming. The servant king is going to come. This Messiah is going to come. And he's going to act differently than you expect him to act. But the real problem is not your captivity. The real problem is not your circumstances right here. The real problem is your heart. And God has to send the servant king to really do a deep heart transformation and work. Man, isn't that true for us? Man, God's vision for us as people is way bigger than we think it is. We're so caught up in our circumstances, aren't we? We go, God, why are you letting this thing happen to me? I don't understand it. This doesn't seem to make sense. If you could just rescue me from this situation, this conversation, this tension, then, then I would be good. And God's going like, actually, it's about your heart. And actually, I am molding and shaping you through this situation to be closer to me and we often don't see that we're often like god just rescue me from my circumstances like and he's like actually i want to change you through those circumstances and we go no 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 no, no. i don't i don't i don't want you to change me that's just a little painful and i don't know i kind of like myself i just want you to rescue me out of this situation and this is what's happening to god's people and this is what happens to us all the time we just have a lower view of God's desire for us to change us, to mold us, to shape us. And so what we're going to do this morning in the midst of uh, finishing up kind of the first half of our series, we're going to look at chapter 48 collectively. Uh, and then next week, we'll start to look at 49. And, and we'll even see uh, uh, chapter 49, which we'll get to next week. It starts with this servant king talking in the first person. There's a change in language that happens, and, and you're going to see it over and over and over again, this servant king that's going to come, this Messiah that's going to come in the person of Jesus that will actually rescue us from our real problems. So let's find out what we need to learn as we kind of wrap up this first half of uh, 40 through 55 in chapter 48. What does God want to say to his people, and what does he want to say to us in the midst of us not just so focused on our circumstances right in front of us like that dog and we just is like we can't it's right there <laughs> the rescue is right there and god's going actually um if you would listen to me like if that dog would listen to to its master and it just hey come on like like it would get actually what it what it needs but it's just so focused and it's like right there and so that's, that's what we're going to see today. So if you have a Bible, open it up. If it's not already there on your phone or if you have a hard copy, Isaiah chapter 48. Um, here's how it's going to break down as, as we look at it collectively together in these uh, 22 verses. Verse 1 through 11 um, is going to help us understand that um, uh, listen to my faithfulness in the midst of your unfaithfulness. And before you look at this, and if you're writing notes, you can write these things, but, but here's what I want you to do. If you have a Bible and you're, you're open to writing in it and you write in it, write every time you hear the word listen, every time you see the word hear, every time you see pay attention, whether you highlight it on your phone or you write it down and you circle it, this is the whole thrust of chapter 48. He's going, if you would listen if my people would listen to me, then they would have life. And then again, that first section we're going to see that if you listen, you'll see that in the midst of God being faithful, even in the midst of our own unfaithfulness, the second uh, chunk in uh, 12 through 16 is for us to listen to God's sovereignty. 
He's telling the people, like, listen, I'm in control. Like, listen and believe that. Hear that. Obey that. And then this last section, 17 through 19, is to listen to experience life. Man, I want the best flourishing for you as I've created you. And as you listen and obey, you'll actually experience how you were created to live. And in the last uh, couple of verses we'll get into at the end, they're kind of the hinge between chapters uh, 48 and really the last section and the next section. So that's, that's where we're going collectively. Again, so uh, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 48. Again, circle or underline or highlight. You'll see this theme coming back and back again. And then how does this theme repeated in chapter 48 speak to us today as God's people? Uh, Isaiah chapter 48 verse 1 says this, hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. Stop there just for a second, verse one, just for context. Again, um, God is identifying his people by their identity in him, right? You are the house of Jacob. You are called Israel. But that last phrase at the end of chapter one, but not in truth or in right. What the ESV translates, the NIT is, or the NLT is maybe a little bit more helpful. It says, you don't keep your promises. You are my people. You, you need to be following me. But in following me, you're, you're actually not acting like you're following me. Right? Which is, is uh, I don't think we ever can relate to that. Right? We definitely can. Like sometimes we just, we're not acting on the way of Jesus, even though we claim him. Verse 2 it says, for they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 3, the former things I declare of old. They went out of my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. What, what, what is God saying? He's going, like, you're, you're calling yourself um, my followers, but you're, you're not really following me. And he's going like, you're, you're in this neck brace made of iron. You're not turning to the left or turning to the right. You're just focused on your idols. You're not listening to me. And you have a brass forehead. You're proud. You're not, you're, you're not taking in what I'm giving you. This is how he's evaluating his own people at the time. Verse 5, he continues and says, I declared them to you from old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. This is an interesting phrase, right? Again, God is just doubling down of like, I'm the one that saved you. Don't think it's your idol that saved you. And we look at this and we read this and we go like, well, what's wrong with those people? Of course this little statue didn't save them. But when you think of the idea of idolatry, anything we worship or give our lives to, don't we sometimes do this? You get the promotion and you go like, oh, it's my hard work. It's my dedication that got me the promotion, right? Like you continue to go, you don't go like, actually, it's God the one that, that gave me the drive. He's the one that, that gave me the effort to do what I'm doing. You don't give glory to him. You go, no, 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 it's me. It's, I'm the reason that I'm able to climb the social ladder. And God's like, don't get confused in that. I'm the one that rescued you. Verse six, have you heard? Now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. He's getting to the servant here in this language. Verse 7, 
They are created now. Not long ago, before today, you have never heard of them. Lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You've never heard them, and you have never known from old, your old ear that has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that before your birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not be cut, uh, that I might not cut uh, you off. Verse 10, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. Or how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So God in this moment, in these 11 verses, as he kind of wraps up this section, he's going, let me just remind you that even in the midst of your unfaithfulness, your brass forehead, your neck that's not turning, you're not listening, you're claiming that your idols are the thing that rescued you, you're, you're not following me the way that you should be following me, even in the midst of your unfaithfulness, would you listen to my faithfulness? Man, there's good news there, that we can realize that even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, God's covenant love for us, that he keeps going after us, that it's not based on our behavior, but it's based on his covenant love for us. He continues to pursue us. He continues to rescue us even in the midst of our bad decisions. And he's saying, listen to this. Listen to my faithfulness. Listen to my faithfulness in the midst of your unfaithfulness. I'm a good God, and I will not share my glory with anyone else, and I don't want my name to be profaned. And because you have been given my name, you've been given my people, I'm not going to let you continue to do the things you're doing. I'm going to rescue you. But not because of your faithfulness, but because of mine. Listen to this. Hear this. And obey in it. The second thing we see as we jump into verse 12 is this idea of listening to my sovereignty. Listening to my sovereignty, right? Like if you're unfamiliar with that word, it's kind of a churchy word, sovereignty. Uh, if you look at the middle of that word sovereignty, you see the word reign. It's this idea that has, uh, whoever has sovereignty has ultimate power. They have ultimate control. And we believe that the God of the Bible has ultimate control. And if you've been looking at Isaiah 40 uh, through 48, you see that God is going like, listen, Put my resume up against any other idol, against any other thing, and it does not even compare. I don't have any rivals at all. And we believe that God is sovereign, and he has power, and he has control. Let's see how we need to listen to that truth. Verse 12 says, listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call them, they stand forth together. Assemble, all you, and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose in Babylon. His arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his ways. Talking about Cyrus rescuing them. Verse 16, draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. Now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So the first 11 verses were to listen to God's faithfulness in the midst of our unfaithfulness. Um, these uh, 12 through 16, we need to listen to God's 
sovereignty, that he is in control, that he lays the foundation of the earth. And sometimes when our circumstances are right in front of us, man, it's hard to remember that. Because we're going, God, why? if you do lay the foundation of the earth, if you are total in control, you have total power, why would you let this thing happen to me? I don't understand it. It does not make sense to me. And I love what verse 16 encourages us to do, commands us to do. It says, draw near to me and hear this. So for us, are we drawing near to God? Like there's an active pursuit of going like, okay, um, when I can't hear somebody, right? I'm about to turn 45. I got to get readers because my eyes are going all of a sudden. My ears, I'm having conversations and I'm in, in loud spaces and I'm all of a sudden I can't hear out of nowhere. I'm like, this, like I sh- I'm not that old. This shouldn't be happening to me. And all of a sudden, have you been in that conversation? Maybe, again, you're in a loud space or maybe your hearing's starting to go and somebody's having a conversation with you and I'm really trying to listen to this person because I, I want to communicate love to them and care for them and, and I can't hear what they're saying and it's so frustrating and so I'm kind of, I'm leaning in to go like, I can't, I can't hear you, dude. Like, I need you to say that again. Say that louder. Do you do that in your relationship with the Lord? Right? Are you drawing near to him? to listen to what he says, to listen that he's in control, that he is over your situation, even though it doesn't seem to make sense to you. Again, if that dog in that video listens to its master and just backs up and walks around the fence, which is a wide open gate, it'll get what it wants. Are you drawing near to God and listening? And listening that he is in control, that he is over your life, that he knows what's best for you, that he's in, in the mess with you, that he cares for you in the, in the circumstances and the situation that you're in. We need to be drawing near to him and listening to him. And just if you're honest with yourself, man, if you just took uh, an evaluation of your life this last week and you go like, what are the voices that I'm listening to? Whether you're listening to him intentionally or unintentionally, like where, where are you getting the voices that dictate how you think about life and how you experience life? Are you listening more to social media than you are to your Bible? Like that's a, that's, that's a pro- that could be a problem. That could be a problem. Right? We, we draw in and we, we draw close to some of those other voices that are loud voices and we pay attention to those voices and we let those voices kind of dictate how we experience life and how we feel about things. And like I'm going like, are you, are you drawing near to this? Like are you sitting with Jesus? Are you reading the story, the Bible? Are you soaking in it? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you worshiping God and are you going, God, speak to me. I want to draw near to you. I want to understand you. I want you to make sense because this doesn't make sense in my life. And I trust that you're good and I trust that you're in control. And I want to draw near to that fact that I believe that you're sovereign. It's hard to do when you're in a circumstance that doesn't make sense to you. And this is what God's telling us. He's saying, I'm good. I am with you. I am rescuing you, draw near to me, and listen to my sovereignty. So again, listen to his faithfulness in the midst of our unfaithfulness. Listen to his sovereignty. And then the last section, 17 through 19, listen to experience life. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that if you had paid attention to my commandments, 
then the peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would have never been cut off or destroyed from before me. So in these three verses, the Lord is telling his people, he's going like, I gave you the commandments to live by. Right, the Ten Commandments. I gave you the law. I gave you the instruction. I didn't give that to you to check a box or to make yourself feel better. I gave that to you so if you follow that, you'll actually experience life. You'll actually experience connection with me. You'll actually experience connection with each other, even in the midst of a broken world. And verse 18, oh, if you had paid attention. If you had paid attention, then you would have received the blessings that come with obeying God. And again, this language of pay attention, man, how easy is it for us to go throughout our life and just not pay attention? We just live our life, we go to work, we have relationships, we do the things we do, and, we, and, then, and then we get frustrated when things don't go our way, when things are frustrating, and we just go, ah, like, what's going on here? And God's going like, did you pay attention to my commandments? Even if we surveyed the room right now, if we were Israel in the Old Testament and we said, okay, like, let's name all the Ten Commandments, God's commandments, his law, could you do it? I don't think I could do it. Somebody's shaking their head, I could do it. Okay, good. But even the idea of like, as Jesus comes onto the scene in the New Testament and he's giving the commandments and going, this is where you live life, this is how you experience life, this is your best, even though it's counterintuitive at times and your flesh, your yourself is going like, this doesn't feel good to die, but actually I get life out of it. Are we paying attention to those things? Or are we just going throughout our life and not feeling the effects and the blessings of God? Right? We're in a war. We, we, we just are. The world is broken. There's an enemy against us. If we don't pay attention and we just get flat-footed, man, we're going to get knocked out every single time. And then we're disoriented and we're going like, I, I don't understand what happened. And we're going like, you're not paying attention to what God's telling you to do. And again, it's not an effort to gain brownie points with God. It's not like if you spend all this time in your Bible, God's more pleased with you. We'll talk about that in a minute, how he is pleased with you. But it's going like, I want to listen to what God is telling me to do. Because I believe that's actually where you find life. It might not feel life, like life right away. And I might have to kill some of the things that I want to do. But actually, I'll gain life from paying attention and listening to what God is telling me to do. So again, in the midst of us kind of wrapping up this section uh, in chapter 48, this kind of first, this idea that God's going like, listen, I am going to rescue you from your current circumstances. But there, there's a bigger thing I want to point to. In the midst of me rescuing you from your current circumstances, what I want you to do is I want you to listen. I want you to listen to me. I want you to pay attention. The problem, again, in, in just even our own self-assessment in chapter 48 is um, we don't listen we don't draw near, and we don't pay attention to God. We do those to other things, but often we, if we're honest, we don't always do those with God. And again, we wonder why things are kind of going sideways for us. And if, if, if we're, again, giving ourselves an, an assessment of how we're doing it at listening and drawing near and paying attention, and if rescue and restoration is up to us, based on those things, like we're in a pretty dark space. 
Like if it's based on us listening and paying attention and drawing near, like, like we're, we're probably going to fail. And God knows this. He knows us. Right, and, and there's beauty in the midst of this that um, our relationship with God for God's people then, for, for us now, is not based on our behavior, but, uh, but it's based on a belief of the servant king's behavior. And that's where we need to really ultimately land in the midst of understanding who we are and trusting him for rescue and for restoration. So look at verse 20 and 21 towards the end of the chapter. God says... Go out from Babylon. He's saying, listen, you are freed. You're going to be rescued from your circumstances. Go out from Babylon. Flee from Chaldea. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it and send it out to the ends of the earth. And say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Verse 21. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. If you're unfamiliar with that reference in verse 21, it's a reference to when God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and they're wandering in the desert and uh, they're thirsty because it's the desert and they don't have resources with them. But God's like, I'm over all the resources. Don't worry about that. And he actually uh, creates water from a rock and he provides for his people in the midst of their desert season. And so verse 21, they did not thirst when he let them through the deserts, he made water flow from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. And God is rescuing you and restoring you from your circumstances. And verse 20, if that's true, right, again, it, it, it's, it's the idea of like, if, if you have bad circumstances or confusing circumstances, it's being honest with God enough to go like this, I don't understand this, I don't like this, God can handle that response, look at the book of Psalms, look at Lamentations, God wants us to be honest with him. Sometimes in the Christian world we go, we, we just pretend and we go, oh no, 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 I'm fine, I'm just trusting God and you're not really being honest with yourself. It's going like, no, I don't like this, I don't understand this, I would love for you to change my circumstances, God but I trust you. And when he does change your circumstances, when he rescues you from that thing right in front of you, your automatic result should be to praise him. Just like 20 says. It's like you should shout it. You should let people know God has rescued me from this thing. But again, the idea for God's people and for us, when God rescued his people from Egypt, from their circumstances, he splits open the rock to provide water for their thirst, which is the real problem in their current circumstances in the desert. And when God is going to rescue his people again in Isaiah, and when he rescues us, he won't only rescue them from their circumstances, from Babylon, he's going to rescue them from their sin. That's what we're going to jump into in 49 through 55. It's going to go, the bigger problem is it's not only the rescue you need from Babylon, it's the rescue from your heart. Because your heart is a dark place. And when you see what God does as we move forward and why I think this is kind of a, a hinge verse as we kind of move from like God's going to rescue you from your circumstances, 40 through 48, but then 49 through 55, the real rescue is going to come from the servant king because your heart is dark, because you need ultimate rescue, not just from your circumstances, but from your sin. The language that he uses in verse 21, I think, is just a beautiful bridge for that. Because God rescues them from their circumstances as he, as the text says, he, uh, he provides water to flow from them from a rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. 
And in that moment, he provides for their thirst, their need through splitting of a rock. And what he's going to do is he sends the servant king is he's going to split the sun for our provision for our sin. Water's not going to flow out. Blood is going to flow out from what Jesus does on the cross to ultimately forgive us, to give us what we need to make us whole again. And so the hope this morning is us, as we walk away, to go like, okay, how am I drawing near? How am I paying attention more? How am I listening to what God is telling me to do? And how am I getting my worth, my value, my dignity from my relationship and my belief in Jesus and not from my behavior? And that's the hope for us, that we wouldn't get so caught up in these circumstances right here. And man, I've had, this weekend has been plenty of opportunities to go like, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. And to be frustrated and confused and disoriented and going like, this doesn't make sense. But as I go, okay, let me listen to the fact that you're faithful even when I'm not. Let me listen to your sovereignty even in this moment. And let me listen to your goodness as I lean into that and obey it to the best of my ability through the power of your spirit that I'm going like, okay, I don't understand this, but I believe that you're using it to form, to shape me, to mold me, to grow me, to mature me. And let me lean into this situation instead of go, what, what, what? Let's be people that listen. And again, the perfect example of this is Jesus. He's in the garden. He's about to get arrested. He's about to be on trial, which is a joke. At any moment, he can stop it. At any moment, he can go, no, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Let me do what's just. But he understands he's not focused right here on the pain that's about to happen to him on the cross. He's not focused right here on the betrayal that's going to happen with his friends, on the betrayal and eventually the separation from the father. He's not focused here. He sees the big picture. And he's fully obedient to his father. And what does he say in the garden? He's honest. He's going, God, if there's any other way. Father, if there's any other way for this to happen, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. He listens and he obeys his father. And we get to be the benefits of that. As he goes to the cross on our behalf, as there's an exchange now that we get to walk with him in freedom, that we get to be forgiven for our sins. Let's be men and women that listen well to the best of our abilities to our Father and let him change us. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us do that well this morning. God, that we wouldn't get caught up in the circumstances that are right in front of us and that you would help us see the bigger picture. You would help us see that you're molding and shaping us. And even if it doesn't make sense, help us lean into listening to you. Help us lean into loving you. Help us lean in and die to ourselves for the good of others, just like you died for us. Help us be reminded of that in a real and practical way, God, as we respond to you. We ask that you would do it. We pray in your name. Amen.